0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for our Pulse Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins, and I appreciate you tuning us in today. That God may speak to you through his word, and the Holy Spirit may minister to you through the messages that are brought forth. That you'll be blessed, and we pray that you will continue to listen to our podcast, and we pray that you would have a blessed day. God bless you all. Mark chapter 10. I've been going through the Gospel of Mark, Preparing the Way of the Lord series, Mark chapter 10. This is about the fourth week I've been in just chapter 10, and I want to talk about what, in this message, about what is greatness? How is greatness defined? What does Jesus want us to know about what is great, that is? Last week, I shared about the rich young ruler uh, before this, and he said he wanted to follow Jesus. But then Jesus saw what his hang-up was. His hang-up was his own stuff, his wealth. He couldn't, get, he couldn't let it go. He couldn't fully surrender his wealth to Jesus and let it go. And sometimes we do hold on to things, right? We might hold on to possessions. We might hold on to uh, certain things in our life that restrict us from f- fully devoting ourselves to Jesus. And this is what happened with this young man. And so I talked about being fully surrendered. Is there anything we hold on to too tightly we have a hard time letting go and trusting God in. And God wants us to always trust in him. And so I want to read this starting in verse 32 uh, down through verse 45. We're going to read this and then, then I'll continue here. Verse 32, yeah, let me find that. <laughs> it says, they were up, on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed him were afraid. Again, he took up the 12 aside and told them, what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him, kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. I love that. That's so funny. But it says, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called to them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and over their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be what? Your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, as we read your word, I pray that you would show us all, God, what is important about being fully devoted to you, Lord. What does it mean, and and how are we to learn from this today about what really is great, what you describe as great, and Lord, that we would be able to apply this to our own life and our service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we just read, uh, this story begins as the disciples and Jesus were going to Jerusalem. You know, we're getting very close in this gospel where Jesus is going to obviously be crucified, we're going to talk about that the triumphal entry and, and and such that he was preparing to go and he says I want to tell you what's going to happen. I want to tell you what's going to come up and so it says they were afraid. They were afraid to go. They're just like, ah, oh, this is scary, you know. And he just told them he predicted what was going to happen again with his going to Jerusalem. Um, and he was suffering He was preparing to suffer and die. And Jesus, it says, leads the way. He's leading the way, and he's not holding back. He's not reluctant. And even Luke's gospel says that he set his face towards Jerusalem. He was determined. He knew what was before him. You know, And as we see even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Not my will be done, but yours be done, O Lord. How many of you have known things were going to be difficult they had, and you still... You know, you're reluctant, and you're hesitant, but you went anyway. You have that faith, I'm going to do this. And this was remarkable courage, but he was res- moving forward. And uh, someone said there are two types of courage. Two types of courage. There's the courage for the moment, this instinctive reaction that you have uh, in the face of danger that makes someone a hero. You know, that, that instinctiveness, you just go and do it. Your Your kid, you know is facing danger or drowning, you jump in, you know, and you, you're going to go after him, even if you <laughs> don't even know how to swim. You're going to go after him. That's that instinctiveness type of courage. And then there's the courage for the long view. The long view makes a, uh, you know, you can see danger for coming days. You can see it for a long term uh, in that sense. And that's just kind of in, innate within you. That is who you are. You're just a very uh, cur- cura- cur- I never can say that word, Joel. Courageous person. Okay, <laughs> I can't say that word. But you are very bold. Let's just say that. <laughs> You're a very bold person in your walk. And and sometimes you can see that with uh, people in the military. and the face of danger, they run towards the danger. Law enforcement, firefighters, first responders. They run when everybody's running away, right? They're that type of... Uh, innate courage or just weird people. I think I uh, just weird people. Uh, but this, this greater courage that Jesus had, he was leading the way in this. And the disciples were astonished. They, obviously, they were freaked out. They were afraid of what was going to take place. Uh, they still followed. and They followed in spite of their confusion, in spite of their fear. They loved Jesus and they said, you know what, we're still going to follow you. We're going to go with you. We're not going to give up on you. Now, a short time later, we'll see what happens in that, um, how they all walked away from Jesus and betrayed him. But I know people who have stopped following Jesus because they didn't understand. Have you ever known people like that? They just cannot comprehend it all. They just cannot understand. You know what? I'm just, I'm just done. Why would God let something like this happen to me? And I understand the question, and most of us have probably asked that ourselves, At one time or another. But if you know Jesus, if you love him, you keep following him even when you can't understand it all. And it says in Isaiah 55, his ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are higher than our ways. I don't understand all of God's ways. When people ask me, I don't always have an answer for them. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. You love Jesus so much that you keep following him in hard times when you don't understand you cannot f- comprehend it all. Jesus pulls the 12 aside and, and he gives this third and most detailed prediction of his death that he's gonna, that's going to happen in a short while. Actually, in chapters 8 and 9 and um, now here in chapter 10, it, in real life, it would have been a matter of days or weeks in those, that time period and Jesus warns his disciples what's going to happen. And each time the disciples, they fail to understand it. Oh, he might, oh he, he's not really talking about a death. You know, maybe he's just using a metaphor or something in this. Failed to understand. And that failure was never more imp, uh, evident in this than what happened next after this. And this is kind of the funny part. Um, that Jesus announces his upcoming death. And what were they doing? They're jockeying for a position <laughs> in, the, in the kingdom of God. They're jockeying for a position. Have you ever been a leader and someone just trying to jockey for a position and trying to get, be the first one? Well, that's exactly what was happening. Uh, James and John privately asked him for the, the top spots in his kingdom. <laughs> He's like, Oh, yeah, you're going to die. Oh, yeah, 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 you're going to die. But, hey, don't deny what we want to ask you. Let us have whatever we ask you, please, you know. And so in your glory, when you become king of in Jerusalem, and that's what they were thinking in Jerusalem, can we be your right and left-hand men? Can we be right on your, next to your throne? And uh, the VIPs or the vice presidents of your new administration really... Are they really that dense in this? Do they really not understand at all? And It makes you wonder where these disciples are. Well, first we can at least give them a a little bit of credit. They believe Jesus was the Messiah, that he is the king, that he was going to triumph and his kingdom. um, And so they have that faith, but it's a little misguided. But they believe so deeply in Jesus that whatever happens, they think Jesus will come out on top. We believe that, you know, we believe that you're our leader, and we're going to follow you wherever you're going. Um, so far, so good. But then this this self interest kicks in, and this that and and they become selfish minded, and they want to make sure they are the top dogs. I want to make sure. Well, when we finally get there, can you can you let us be that inner circle? And so Jesus was, uh, th- you know, okay, that's not for me. That's not for me to grant you that. but Peter, uh, you might say Peter was like the acknowledged leader of the disciples, and who was the closest to Jesus? Who was the three that were most close to Jesus? Is that Peter, James and John, right? Peter And John was actually described as some people say he was well, it says in the gospel, John, the beloved one, the beloved being that you might even say that Jesus had a best friend, and that was John. That was the one he was closest to. Uh, But James and John are brothers and maybe they're trying to just get this jump on Peter. Okay, we know he's the leader, but we want to be sure that we get that spot. You know, (laughs) The sons of Zebedee, they were called, or sons of thunder in some ways. So they want to ace him out. And I mean, John was was the closest to Jesus anyway, but there's no doubt they're asking for these top spots. Now in... In the Jewish culture, um, the place of highest honor in a group was dead center, and that was Jesus. They're recognizing him as the, that rabbi, that, the one they were following. But then following that, directly following that, is the right and the left, the ones that would sit next to him, the one that would be acknowledged as, as those leaders. By putting Jesus in the middle, they honor him, but they, they honor him to What? To honor themselves. <laughs> They're wanting to honor him so that we can look good. And you're the man, but we want to be the other man. We want to be the other recognized ones here. Isn't it amazing how easily we can mix up worship and a discipleship with self-interest? I don't, I don't think it's anyone in here. I'm not saying it's anyone in here, but you know how none of us can be so are selfish, but. James and John, he says, you are the king, we exalt you, we, we give you praise, we will be right beside you. In that sense, they're mixing up self-interest with their praise. Do you see that? That um, Jesus answers by telling them, you don't know what you're asking. You are completely clueless what you're asking here. Um, and so then he asks them if they can drink the same cup as he's drinking, and the same baptism he's being baptized with. So Jesus is actually talking about his what? His suffering. The suffering is the cup that he was talking about, uh, and his death. Are you ready to shoulder your cross and suffer and die for me, is what he was asking, but they didn't get that part. Because in the Old Testament, the cup was significant of a metaphor. It was a metaphor for experiencing... uh, for the experience uh, a person could have, and, and sometimes it was associated, the cup was, was described as a joy and celebration. You know, giving you the cup is a cup of joy and celebration, uh, whereas it also could mean um, suffering. Uh, also in the Old Testament, to be submerged in water was, or baptized was a metaphor of being overwhelmed with calamity. Still, they were clueless, and they mistaked this cup for being the cup of joy and celebration. Yeah, of course I don't take the cup of joy and celebration. They were not recognizing it as the cup of suffering. Uh, they misunderstood Jesus and ignorantly said, yes, we can do that. And he goes, you surely will. You surely will. <laughs> okay, that's what's going to happen to you. Uh, and so, as we know, James was actually the first apostle to be executed, right? If you study the Bible, and you'll find out that Herod had him executed. James was one of the first ones by King Herod in Acts chapter 12. John was the last apostle to die. Now, he was one of the only ones that didn't die necessarily for his faith in a martyred way. He died a well-old age life, but, um, but he was also exiled to the island of Patmos. So, um, So in that sense, you will receive that cup of suffering. You will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Some people wonder if the cup and the baptism represent the two Christian sacraments that we recognize, um, and that is the communion, or some call it the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, and uh, also water baptism. So they're saying the sacraments that are sought and uh, recognized in this, but though those are important, Mark wants to communicate that to truly participate in the cup and the baptism means more than just partaking in the sacraments or ceremonies in this case. Rather, it means partaking in the mission and in the suffering of Jesus. If you knew that being a Christian would mean that you're going to have to have times of hardship and suffering, you know, that, I didn't know that, and I never want to communicate that it's only easy being a Christian, because it's not. There will be suffering. There will be ridicule. There will be persecutions at times. So rather than, rather it means partaking in the mission and in the suffering of Christ. Real disciples, and they follow Jesus is more than, more than just the cup of celebration, even though I wouldn't want to live without Jesus. I mean, I, I see so much going on in our world. I'm like, how do they make it without Jesus? I have no idea. I mean, it's just so hard. And, and that's why I always want to tell people about Jesus. I'm like, you need Jesus. He is the answer. Um, but also, I know that it's going to be, there's going to be times of hardship. And I know that we're going to face things off and on. So James and John, they ask for these top spots on either side. And he promises them suffering, and death. And here's the kicker. The other 10 were, what does it say? They became indignant. That means they were ticked off. (laughs) That means they were really upset. How come we didn't get in there and ask for that? Man, they beat us to the punch, you know. They asked for thrones and got crosses, you know, serves them right, you know. Maybe they were were going, guess what? They got that cup of suffering and death. (laughs) You know, have you ever... Maybe. They were probably just jealous at that moment. Um, and James and John got the inside track on the, the Toss Boss. They were no better. None of them were any better than James and John in this. Um, and sometimes we're no better than them. We're all pretty much motivated by self-interest. Um, in our humanness, we all like to be recognized, right? We all like to have little kudos, accolades, you know, just something this nice said about us. And I try to always acknowledge people and say, thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. But you know what? There's a lot of things. Don't go into the ministry uh, if you only want to have kudos all the time. <laughs> because, <laughs> you're, gonna be, you're gonna be really upset or disappointed if that's what you live for, okay? That's, that's not what we do this for in serving God is just to get a bunch of people saying how good and great you are <laughs> all the time. But, um, but we all like to be recognized. We all like to be acknowledged and, and thanked once in a while. and There's nothing wrong with all of that. But sometimes do we ever take it to the extreme, I deserve it better than they do. Oh. Have you ever been treated commonly and said, do you know who I am or where I have been? Do you know what I have done? And uh, that's another sermon. But I mean, I had to learn ministry, what ministry meant the hard way. Uh, God had to teach me some humbling lessons in my own life because I got a Bible college degree. I don't deserve to be working in a ditch next to these scumbags. You know, that. that's a, you know, that's, God had to really break me in a lot of ways. Joel will testify to that, I'm sure, but... Um, God had to humble me. He had to break me and show me what ministry was all about. It was not about a title by any means. I mean, take my license, please. You know, I don't care about my, my ordination anymore. It's just like, yes, there's recognition. Yes, there's uh, significance to have a plaque on your wall. But it's like, that's not ministry. Ministry for everyone is in all that you do and who God calls you to be. And guess what? You're all full-time ministers. Believe it or not, because I can't be in some of the places that you can be in. God calls you all to be full-time ministers. That's another big story. But do any of you travel a lot and you have that VIP status? Does anyone have that? No one does. Okay, well, <laughs> but uh, I pr- I don't. I pretty much am a nobody. <laughs> But I get plane tickets. I go for the cheapest ones, you know, the ones that are the cheapest. And it says basic. And then it says, do you want more leg room for $75 more? And I'm like, no. (laughs) No, that's uh, that's ridiculous. They have to pay for four inches. I mean, come on. Four (laughs) inches, 80 bucks, you know. But you get to the airport and you have your ticket. And... And our zone on there is the very, it's like A, B, C, D, F. I, I'm, I'm the F. You know, I'm the failure. I'm the, I feel like the failure. You know, I'm like, you get in there and then they go, okay, the, the, you know, the whatever they call them, the executive people. The first class people go on first. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. Go on the first class. And then they have all these executive statuses. And then the women with children and the uh, elderly can go on. And then the A, B, C, D. And you're like, please, God, let there be some overhead stuff for my my luggage, please. Come on, let there be some space left. Please, God. And you're just like, can anyone relate with that? (laughs) You've just been there before. And then when you get to board on the place and, you know, you just hope. Except for a couple years ago, Jill and I had our our anniversary. We went to Peru, and it was really fun. And and on the way back, they messed up and didn't assign us our seats. So we flew in from Peru to um, Mexico City. Like, oh great, we have to. Hopefully, we'll be in the same place on the plane, and hopefully, we'll get to sit next to each other. From there, we actually flew to Calgary. Um, And so we get up there and say, you know, we need tickets. We need our seats. And so when they finally gave us our tickets and we looked at them and and it said row one and row two, and I said, oh great, we're not going to sit next to each other, you know, or behind each other. And I'm like, did you say row one and two? (laughs) Does that happen to be first class? And they're like, yes. (laughs) Never mind! (laughs) Never mind! (laughs) Never mind, okay, yes. So, So we get on the plane and and actually, I was in row one and Jill was in row two. And I asked the guy, I said, Would you mind letting me sit next to my wife? And he goes, Sure, no problem. So he moved up and, and we got to sit next to each other. And of course, they come out, Do you want a steam towel to wash your hands? And I'm like, Yes, absolutely. Of course, and a pillow? Oh, yeah. Don't even ask next time. You know, it's like, <laughs> So, of course. So I li- we lived that up all the way from Mexico City. to, And it just felt good. You know, just like, can I help you, sir? You know, where, where before, just like, you know, you might get a half a glass of juice or whatever. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is so cool. Um, again, that's not what I really am. You know, I, I remember I'm just a nobody. But all the disciples, not just James and John, wanted that first class seat. They wanted that. I want that seat. I deserve that. <laughs> you know, and then could creep in this religious spirit. You know, I could do it better than you can. Uh, well, the disciples were all worked about the greatest. And Jesus uses it as a teaching moment. Jesus starts by saying, here's how authority works in the world. People will lord it over you. The, the Gentiles, they will lord it over you. you. That's the way the authority works in this world. And uh, they will rule you, and they will exercise authority over you. The world is all about power. It's all about domination, exploitation, and oppression. That's how the world works. And we see that in our world today in politics. Power, power, power. It's all about that, right? It's me over you. I win, and you lose. I'm talk dog, and you serve me. Well, Jesus is saying, you want to be at my right and my left hand? Guess what? You want power. You want to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And I'm telling you, no, that's not what it means to be great. Not even close. Number one is greatness is servanthood. Servanthood, that's what it means to be great. And whenever I or we talk about serving in church, people get nervous. Oh, great, that's all the pastor talks about is money and serving, money and serving, you know. People think that's all we pastors talk about or churches talk about. But not that I make apologies about it because it's right here. Jesus said it, okay? I'm trying to tell you who, who is great is those that are servants. That's what greatness is all about in his kingdom. I don't necessarily make apologies for that because God talks about it in the Bible. We want to teach what's in the Bible. And serving is talked about throughout Scripture. It's, it's in here, Okay. It's talking about what can, how in ways does God call us to serve? And it has a little to do with the title, as I talked about. It has all to do with who you are. A title doesn't make you a servant, who you are in service makes you, or God calls you to be such and such. And I had to learn that, as I said. I want to say, above all, absolutely. I love all the volunteers in our church family. I love you. I thank you. We couldn't do it without you. VBS, we need lots of help. And I love that. This is our biggest outreach of the year. Yes, we would love to have your service and help in any way you can, because none of us could do any of this without you. Absolutely. When... Jesus radically defines greatness in verse 43 and verse 44. Do you want to be great? You must be a servant. And the Greek word here is dikonos, and it's a word for a paid servant um, or a table waiter, one that serves, and, um, but they serve voluntarily, okay, of their own free will. They choose to serve. And in Luke's version of a similar discussion, Jesus asked the disciples, verse uh, Luke 22, verse 27, he says, For who is great, the one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I, among you is as one who serves? Who is greater? The world says the person being served is the greater one. But I say to you, it's the one who served. That's what I'm saying to you. I personally, oh gosh, I get, I get personally perturbed. I, pastors get perturbed once in a while. That's a, that's a Christian way to say it. Uh, how people sometimes treat waiters and service people in restaurants. And if you've been to a restaurant lately, how many of them have for hire signs in the window? A lot. I heard there's, in just Lake County, there's 300 open positions available. Uh, when someone treats them with disrespect and rudeness and you're just like you know what you know what you can do with your rudeness you know it's just like go get a job you know <laughs> it's like go serve in some way you know that just it perturbs me in that because we should not treat those that are serving us with disrespect i hope that as christians you will treat everyone with kindness and respect especially those in those type of service industries Uh, Remember, Jesus came as one who serves. He came as that waiter. He came as that one who washed the disciples' feet. He came and he said, then go do the same, right? In fact, we have a major problem in our society that everyone wants to be served rather than to serve. I deserve this. I am retired now. (laughs) I, I worked all my life. Now I don't have to serve anymore. And I'm like, no, I think you have more time to actually serve than someone, you know, some of the younger generations. And that's, you know, I think when I retire, I want to just find different ways to serve, you know, that I can't do right now. And I think we have a big problem in our society, and it's based on power and selfishness. Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured by what? By service. Not by power, not by position or prestige, do you want to be great? Then be a servant. And Jesus goes on, if you want to be first, be a slave of all. And the Greek word is doulos, which is actually the word for a slave who is the property of someone else, has no rights, no freedom, no choice of his own, but actually is described as a bond servant. They chose to do that. Not just a servant, but a slave. You commit your life. To be a bondservant the rest of your life. And the bondservant says, I know that I'm loved. I know I'm being taken care of. I'm giving that choice for freedom for the rest of my life. But I choose to go to my master and say, I want to be your bondservant. It says they used to stick an awl through their ear and they used to pierce their ear. it says like, you're now a bondservant the rest of your days. And Paul described himself as a bondservant of the Most High God. That's what we do. We're bondservants servants. Or that's what he asks of us. And that last verse, verse 45, is considered some of the key verse of all of Mark. In verse 45 it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served in any way in his kingship. He was a servant leader. Jesus offers himself as that example and that reason for serving, like me and and even our Our mission statement here at church is becoming like Jesus together. Becoming like Jesus together because he is our prime example. He is the one that he says to be like me, to become like Jesus. in all that he says, all that he did, he's our perfect example of that. We don't have to be uh, like Jesus in his cross in the sense that he did that once and for all. We don't have to die, but he says you need to take up your cross and die to What? You, your selfishness, every day. He became a servant. If we're gonna follow him, we must be like Jesus. Being Jesus is the greatest. He is the first among us, and Jesus serves. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He's the ultimate sacrifice that he paid for all of our sin, all of our mistake. He's that. He gave his life for us. And the four means instead of, in the place of. He gave himself where I deserve and you deserve to be. He gave that for you and for me. He took my spot. Jesus died in my place. The wages of sin is death, and I am a sinner, and I deserve to die for my sin. You know, before someone can really be saved, before someone really can know uh, am I truly accepting Jesus, I need to know that I'm lost, And a lot of people don't. I'm not lost. I got all the stuff in the world. I got stuff. He says, yes, you are lost. You have to come to the end of yourself. where you finally do your own depravity and say, whether you are affluent or whether you are poor, it doesn't matter. Socioeconomic status does not matter in this kingdom. But we talked about that last week. It says it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through eye of a needle. Yes, the rich, because they don't know they have any needs. But we all need to come to that place, no matter where we are in our our affluence or, you know, we need to be poor in spirit. I need you every single day. The theological term is a substitutionary atonement. It means that he died instead of me to bring me to God. A ransom had to be paid, and it was paid to set a captive or a slave free. A ransom, money, something that you would give to get that freedom. And some people have gotten sidetracked trying to say to whom the ransom was paid. That's not our point here. This is Jesus is the ransom for all, not just some, for everybody. For God so loved the world, the world means everybody. Jesus redefines greatness as service. He is the example. Service and sacrificial giving are not just ethics or religious requirements that God asks of us. Then we're, we're missing the point we're missing that point. And a lot of times, I think I mentioned last week that some people think, well, I think you're just asking me to give my tithe or my 10%. I'm like, no, I'm saying give 100%. And and I, and I remember, you know, one time my very first job, very first job, I came in there and I said, God, boss, did I do all right? You know, I was thinking I was something and I did. I, my You know my job was? $3 to go change the reader board at a grocery store. $3, okay? Don't spend it all in one spot. You know, <laughs> $3 I got to change the reader board. I'm like, how did I do, boss? And he goes, well, he wasn't necessarily nice, but he said, do it better next time. am like, oh, okay. All right, I'll try to put those letters up better next time. Uh, and it really showed me that, you know, there's, there, I need to improve. I guess I, I learned from I never forgot it. Even in his rudeness, he was actually trying to make a point. Next time, do it 110%. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I will try to do it better next time. You know, uh, But why did I say that? I don't know. But um, <laughs> why do we serve? I serve, and it says in Colossians 3.23, do everything. Everything is unto the Lord. Because I, I can tell you, I can go all day talking about jobs I had where I had screamers screaming at me. I had a really hard time going to work every day. I just didn't want to. I don't want to go to work. I've never said that about church, right, Joel? I've never said that about coming here. Not this morning, anyway. I didn't say that today. (laughs) Um, But I'm just like, I don't want to go to work today. God, please. And he's reminding me of that scripture: "Do everything as unto Jesus," because I certainly am not doing it for you. I'm doing this as unto the Lord. And Jesus is the greatest. Secondly, greatness seeks to serve, not to be served. And as Jesus came to serve, not to be served, we seek to be like Jesus. We serve God by serving others, by laying our own life down. We don't serve to get noticed or to get something in return. I believe give, and it will be given to you. It will. That's the God's principle, his kingdom principle. Think of all the ways we seek to be served. If you think... Can't think of any. Remember Jesus and John's question. Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Whatever we ask, we want you to do that for us. You don't ever pray that way. I know you don't. But I want, what do you do? Let's just be honest. Have we ever had selfish desires? I want to give you a couple examples here. In our homes, we all like a nice meal. like to come home to a clean house. We like to have the laundry done. We like to have You know, the garbage taken out, we like to have those, you know, but every day we still have chores. There's still laundry that piles up, still garbage that needs to be taken out, still dishes that need to be cleaned every day. Why does that happen? Why? Parents want their children to always be on their best behavior, to obey whatever we ask, never have a bad day, so we can take credit for being such awesome parents. (laughs) I know, I, yes, that's true. I, I'm an awesome parent, you know. <laughs> thank you very much. My kids are always behaved. I mean, oh, thank you. And <laughs> then you want them to grow up and have lots of grandchildren, so you can be the best grandparents ever, which we are. I mean, <laughs> I got the cup. Best papa ever. You know, I did. I, I'm honest. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, I I already got the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I got the cup, you know. So at work, we want our coworkers to respect us. And especially if you are the boss, you want them to do a good job and, and to make your business successful. And maybe, maybe even make you look good. For some people in churches, not everyone here, of course, we want our favorite songs we played, our favorite style, and our favorite volume, led by our favorite worship leader. And we want our children's programs for our kids. We want the best pastor in the world to to get to the point with their sermon, but just a little bit, you know, just get, you know, within my time frame, but profound, leave me laughing, but maybe even crying a little bit once in a while. That, that's what we want, right? That's what we want. Um, and I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the point. We are motivated by self-interest. We are. We naturally look, seek to be served, but Jesus models a different way, and he calls us beyond ourselves to seek to serve, not to be served. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way to be great. You know, as a family, you know, I say I should. Okay, how many of you said I shouldn't have to ask you? How many of you ever said I should not have to ask you to do this? Well, sometimes, especially guys, we're a little dense, a little on the dumb side, and wives. Sometimes you need to ask again. And don't use that, I shouldn't have to. Don't use that, I shouldn't have to. You should have to. <laughs> We're just like, yeah. And, and those, you know, Jill and her feminine things, sometimes I just don't get it. I don't understand that, the, the, the signals. I don't always understand those signals. <laughs> the look. I understand the look. I, I get the look. But right, <laughs> what would it look like for all those areas we seek to serve at home, work, church, and even summer traffic? Let me take. Let's take this home an example in this. Um, at weddings, I always read Ephesians five. I've done a couple in the last couple weeks. Ephesians five. I always talk to submit to one another in love, and then it talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for them. And wives submit to your husband and, oh, Lord, submit. And I'm like, that you forget the part where husbands love Christ and love your wives. And if you do that in love, guess what? Your wife will submit or, some ways, better, respect you. They'll respect you. To submit is to yield to oneself, to another, to put the other ahead of one another. The, the Greek word is a militaristic term to arrange yourself under uh, and concerned with rank is that you come under them, you humble yourself and you put the other person to lift them up. You're lifting them up in humility, letting them be acknowledged. Um, this is the command both given to the husband and wife in Ephesians chapter five, not just to the wife, not just to the husband, but together. Neither is one to think more than themselves, but you're to serve one another. That is what it's talking about. I, I did a, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago, and when I when I had them repeat the vows after me and it said serve, and she stopped. She stopped momentarily, she had to think about it in the vow, and then she said it. I'm like, I think you better. I I think we better do marital counseling right here before we (laughs) continue on and continue any further. (laughs) I did, but uh, can you imagine what your marriage would be like if you both did this? It would be great. How about church? Do you want to come to church to serve or to be served? Are you thinking that only what you might get out of it? Do you ever think what you can offer? offer you know and, the, and I say sometimes people are part of the problem rather than the solution and we have to go okay God how can we make this better you don't like pink chairs you can write the check I mean <laughs> I don't I mean these chairs have been here since 1993 but they're still working you know I mean it's just like and, and you know I can go on there's a lot of stuff and I love to serve I'm a, I'm a service, access service person I like to do access service but there's also other ways that you can serve in this. In this some are teachers. Some, some of you love to hold babies. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I, don't, I never turn away a volunteer. Ever, ever. You want to come do stuff? I will let you. I'll give you a key. Um, sometimes people think of churches as a distributor of religious goods and services, and we are the consumers. Um, Instead, church is a community of believers. It's a family that needs mutual service, encouragement, needs to be built up. And that's why we come together on Sunday mornings. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about when one is weak, you know, we're there for one another. When one mourns, we mourn together. When we rejoice, we rejoice together. The church is a body. Some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the mouth, some are the head. But guess what? None of those parts can survive without one another, period. It can't survive apart from the body. <clears throat> and so the greatest service serves voluntarily and sacrificially as a servant and a slave. You choose, in a sense, to give up your rights. You choose to give that and give up your self-interests. This is love. Love is sacrificial. Love is always doing for others what is best for them, no matter what it costs you. The greatest is the servant of all, to seek and to serve voluntarily. The first is the slave of all. We seek to serve sacrificially. This is the way to Jesus. And then it's important to know that everyone has a place in your gifts, in your spiritual gifts, in your talents, and your, you know you are amazing. You're amazing, and I love that. Uh, I'm not the only one that can teach. I'm not the only one that can do things around here. So everyone plays, and no one is held back. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 gives an example of some of the gifts that God gives us to build up the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God. Also be empowered and to be edified with, with gifts of his spirit. We all have gifts and abilities. The question is, do you have availability The next thing we do is we do things better together. And the word is partnership. We're a team. We're a partnership. We're a family. And not necessarily to say I shouldn't have to, but as a family, if you see the garbage needing to be taken out, go take it out. Go do it. You see the dishes in the sink piling up? Do it. Clean them. Because we do church as a team and as a family, and we are in this family together, right? Serving is the number one way to get you connected. Absolutely the number one way. Um, you know, I mean, Jill, wherever we've gone, whether we've been in big, big church, we were in a mega church once, and we, we just served, and we committed, and we got, went to the things together, and people knew us. If you feel disconnected, it's because you're disconnected, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to judge anyone here. I'm not trying to say, it. it just, it's true. A lot of people disconnected because, and it's not that we don't care and we reach out to everyone, but, I, but what I love, what I love about our family here is because you are doing the stuff. You're doing it. And that's a sign of a healthy church. When people show love, and not because I'm telling you you have to show love, it's just who you are. And I love that. I love that about you. And why do we do it? Because Jesus said, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you need to be a servant of all. And he didn't just say it, he lived it. He washed the disciples' feet, he demonstrated, he got down on his knees and washed these dirty disciples' feet. And how do we identify leaders in churches? Leaders or servants? Lastly, we do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. We all have natural gifts and we also have the The empowerment, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things we just don't even think that we could do. When I think I can't do it, I'm going, God, I need your help. I need supernatural strength. You know what? Some weeks I just don't even have time to prepare a message. I have no time to dedicate hours of studying because I'm active in the community here as an EMT, as a volunteer firefighter, as a chaplain. I love to serve my community because I don't believe it's meant to be just in these walls every week, and you guys come to me to give you some words of wisdom and advice i mean that's that's great you know some some pastors you know they all come to you and just make an appointment with me, please you know I'll put you on my calendar once in a while and, I, and I'm like, you know what that's just not even realistic. I believe in you know going to the people, being in the community, serving those that don't just come here on Sunday mornings but our community and I want to pastor our community, not just what's here on Sunday morning. Why do we do that? It's all for the glory of God. That one day I can stand, and I hope we can all say, stand before the judgment day before Christ and say, "What would He say to us? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest." That's what it's all about. That's what I want to hear Him say. Lord God, we just, as we end today, Lord, we take these things to heart, God. We, we hear what you said to the disciples. We hear that it's serving is the greatest. The greatness is in our own humility and putting ourselves aside. But you say, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift me up in due time. Because it says you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble, and your grace, your grace comes when we get when we set our own self aside, and we let you be exalted, we let you be glorified, and your lifting up is when we let you do that. we let you be sovereign, we let you be the appointer and God, I pray in Jesus name we would see it differently than the world sees. It's not about power. It's not about lording it over. It's about laying our lives down for you, Jesus, as in everything we do, as unto you. And Lord, I have to see that you became my substitution. You became sin for me that I may become the righteousness of God. And I never, ever take that for granted. Lord, if there's anyone here that has never made that decision or unsure of where they stand with you, as we even mentioned earlier, that it's, we can enter your holy of holies because of the blood of Jesus. Washes us and cleanses us. But we must recognize I am a sinner. I am lost and I need you every day. And I do take up my cross and I follow you. I give my life to you and I want to serve you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. And if that's a prayer that you prayed today, God will honor that. He will always hear that, and he will answer whatever you ask when it's according to his will like that. Amen? God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.